0: Shalom, and welcome to Torah to the People, a podcast from Temple Israel in Memphis, Tennessee. I'm Rabbi Micah Greenstein. We hope you enjoy the selection of our sermons, classes, and conversations with inspiring people from across the Bluff City and around the world. There's a story about this week's Torah portion, B'Shalach a story about a boy who came home from religious school and his father asked him, what did you learn at temple today? Dad, he said, it was amazing. As the Israelites were leaving Egypt, being chased by Pharaoh's army, they came to the Sea of Reeds and suddenly the water was just right there in front of them and they were trapped. It seemed as if there was no escape. And then suddenly, Out of nowhere, the Israeli army and air force appeared. The air force in their F-35s attacked Pharaoh and his army, destroying almost all of his chariots. The army laid platoon bridges all over the sea, and the Israelites were able to walk through to freedom on dry land. His father looked at him with amazement and said, is that really what they taught you? The boy responded, no, no. But if I told you what they taught me, you wouldn't believe it. (laughs) This Torah portion tells the story of arguably the greatest, the grandest miracle in the entire Torah. God splitting the sea, the Israelites marching to freedom with columns of seawater to their right and to their left, and the mighty Egyptian army drowned in their wake. When we think of a quintessential miracle, this This story is it. Today, though, I have to say, and I think this is probably true for many of you, miracles like this are hard to believe in. But even for those who were there in the moment, in this grandest display of God's might and redemptive power, the Midrash, a rabbinic commentary on the text, teaches that not every person there, not every person who crossed the sea, experienced it as a miracle. This Midrash from Exodus Rabbah imagines that two Israelites, Reuven and Shimon, stepped between the two columns of water. They, they felt the slosh of wet ground beneath their feet and said, ugh, what is this muck? There's mud all over the place. Reuven said, this is just like the slime pits of Egypt. Yeah, said Shimon, what's the difference? Mud here, mud there, it's all the same. There is no difference in being a slave there and being free here. Kvetching, can you believe it? In the middle of the greatest Jewish miracle that God performed for the Israelites. How very Jewish. (laughs) But the deeper lesson, of course, of this Midrash is that no matter how prominent, no matter how obvious the miracle may be, if we are not open to witnessing it, the miracle will pass us by. And this lesson is all the more important in our own day. When miracles are not as obvious as the parting of the sea or the manna falling from heaven or the fire or the cloud of God that accompanied the Israelites throughout the wilderness. By the way, that is what these two columns represent, the fire, uh, the cloud by day and the fire by night, all of which occur in this Torah portion. In our day, miracles are much more often hidden than revealed. The miracles that are lurking, those miracles that are lurking under the surface are exactly the kind of miracles that we celebrated yesterday on the holiday of Tu B'Shvat. Tu B'Shvat, the Jewish holiday of the trees, falls at a very strange time of year. Why would we celebrate trees in the middle of winter when their leaves and fruit have fallen, their branches are bare, if we were not accustomed to the cycle of the seasons, we might think that the forest is dead or at the very least is dying. Wouldn't it be more logical to celebrate trees in spring when they're full of life and full in bloom rather than in winter? Well, the miracle of Tubishvat, the miracle Tubishvat celebrates is under the surface, literally. Another year of life is possible because throughout the winter, Trees absorb water in their roots, which they use to create sap, which nourishes them as they produce new buds each spring. According to Rashi, Tu B'Shvat falls when it does because in Israel, Tu B'Shvat is the date in which the sap begins to rise into the tree. Even when conditions are at their most bleak, in nature there is always potential for rebirth and renewal. And what... What an important lesson for the Jewish people at this dark time in our history. But trees, they don't just renew themselves. They don't just nourish themselves. Of course, they nourish us and the rest of the ecosystem. Human beings and all animals live in symbiosis with the trees, exchanging oxygen and carbon dioxide. I know we learned that in school. But trees, of course, also sustain human beings with fruit And with nuts and humans and other animals help to spread seeds to more and more places around the planet, providing increased habitat and genetic diversity to the tree. We live in an inescapable and miraculous mutuality with the trees, and we truly could not live without them. And perhaps that is why trees are one of the most important symbols in the Jewish tradition. The Torah is called an Eitz Chaim, a tree of life, and Deuteronomy, proclaims Ki ha'adam hasade, that a human being is like a tree of the field. But in fact, trees are more like humans than many of us give them credit for. In one of my very favorite books, The Hidden Life of Trees by Peter Wolobin, he explains that trees communicate with one another through electrical impulses that they send through their roots, to other trees whose roots are intertwined with theirs. How even if their roots are not directly connected, they can send messages or even send nutrients to one another through a network of fungus called mycelia that can link the roots of many trees together in what some scientists call the wood wide web. (laughs) (laughs) You can't make this stuff up. Trees, in fact, can warn each other about other threats. Animals who come to eat their leaves, pests, blight, they can put up defenses based on that information they got from their neighbor. They can feel pain, and some trees even continue to send nutrients through their root systems to the stumps of trees that they are related to, sometimes many years or even decades after that tree has been cut down knowing what we know about trees. It's not so hard to believe that miracles didn't stop after God split the sea so many thousands of years ago. Know those who learn to look beneath the surface, know that miracles are all around us, if only we take the time to see them. Anyone who has held a newborn child who has benefited from a medical advance that would have been fatal only years before. Anyone who has seen a sunset next to someone that they love knows that miracles still exist. In the words of Albert Einstein, there are two ways to live your life. One is as though nothing is a miracle. The other is as though everything is. Every morning, as Jews, as part of our morning prayers, we recite what is known as the Nisim Bechol Yom, our prayers of gratitude for daily miracles. Baruch ata Adonai Eloheinu melech haolam, hanotein koach. Blessed are you, O God, who gives strength to the weary. Blessed are you, O God, who clothes the naked, who, who gives sight to the blind, who made me free, who made me in your image, who made me a Jew. In the words of Rabbi Lawrence Kushner in his book of Miracles, a spiritual guide for young adults, he writes, To be a Jew means to wake up and keep your eyes open to the many beautiful, mysterious, and holy things that happen all around us every day. Many of them are like little miracles. When we wake up and see the morning light, when we taste food and grow strong, when we learn from others and grow wise, when we hug the people we love and feel warm, when we help those around us and feel good. All these and more are there for us every day, but we must be able to open our eyes and see them. Otherwise, he writes, we will be like Reuven and Shimon, able only to see the mud. I'd like to close tonight with a poem by Walt Whitman entitled, Miracles should have a copy in your door. Join with me. Why, who makes much of a miracle? As to me, I know nothing else but miracles, whether I walk the streets of Manhattan or dart my sight over the roofs of houses towards the sky or wade with naked feet along the beach just in the edge of the water or stand under trees in the woods or talk by day with anyone I love or sleep in the bed at night with anyone I love, or sit at a table at dinner with the rest, or look at strangers opposite me riding in the car, or watch honeybees busy around the hive of a summer forenoon, or animals feeding in the fields, or birds, or the wonderfulness of insects in the air, or the wonderfulness of the sundown, or of the stars shining so quiet and bright, or the exquisite, delicate, thin curve of the new moon in spring. These with the rest, one and all, are to me miracles, the whole referring yet each distinct and in its place. To me, every hour of the light and dark is a miracle. Every cubic inch of space is a miracle. Every square yard of the surface of the earth is spread with the same. Every foot of the interior swarms with the same. To me, the sea is a continual miracle. The fishes that swim, the rocks, the motion of the waves, the ships with men in them, what stranger miracles are there? Next time you're in the woods, don't mind the mud. There's a miracle waiting for you just beneath it. Shabbat shalom.